Hey everyone, Eric Watson here, and this is the recorded audio of a DM-only live stream in which I prepare for our next live session and chat with fans twice a week at my Rogue Watson YouTube channel. Please note that these streams are full of DM spoilers. This was not originally intended for an audio-only format, but has been converted to a podcast for your convenience. The channel and by extension this podcast are supported by Patreon. If you'd like to support my work, you can do so at patreon.com slash roguewatson. Enjoy the show. Writer, player of games, writer, voyager, quarter videos, and a tabletop role-playing aficionado. Welcome to the Thursday edition of my bi-weekly behind-the-scenes DM-only live stream, Crafting Icewind Dale, which I build right and prepare for our next session of Rhyme of the Frost Maiden. If you are playing characters of Robin, Frey, Celeste, Edmund, or Thimbleweed, GTFO, this is not meant for you, but for the rest of you, welcome. There will be spoilers. Stream our D&D sessions live on YouTube every Friday. Watch all of our D&D sessions and reviews here on YouTube. You can follow me on Twitter at Rogue Watson and join our official Discord server with invite link into the description below. If you like support the channel, please check out patreon.com slash roguewatson. For our campaign, we use Roll20.net. For streaming, I use open broadcaster software with Streamlabs. What more shall we plan for, lazy DM? Good afternoon, Morgan. Good uh, morning, Nick. All around the world, we are streaming live. So, we're going to do our giant encounter, and we're going to get to Dark Duchess this week. Um, I don't know how far we're going to make it into Dark Duchess, given how much the giant encounter could turn into a super nasty slog, or maybe not be as bad. I don't. I know some folks suggested, like, hey, be prepared for... Um, you know, ways that they can knock off the giant from the mammoth, which would certainly make it harder or easier for them. But also, I want to make that part of their tactics. Like, they should, like, that should be something they want to do is try to knock the giant off of the mammoth. Um, uh, be prepared for if Frey wants to use dynamite in the Dark Duchess uh, <laughs> scenario, which I, I just love the fact that ever since I gave them dynamite, that now I have to just prepare for them to use the dynamite every time, which is true of any, you know, item that you give the players you you have to it's it's very tricky to give powerful loot to players because it's you have to foresee like so far into the future of when it becomes a pain in the ass and uh in fact in the discord chat we just recently talked about um uh you know i think the shardlin bands of binding that that edmund uses frequently is probably my biggest regret only because i thought that was gonna be like one of the many items he was gonna build and instead i clearly made them which I just copied off of Iron Bands of Bullaroo, I think they're called, in the Dungeon Master's Guide. Um, and uh, he just wants to make those constantly because <laughs> they're very powerful and useful. So, um, I, And maybe I can play around with, there were suggestions made that uh, he, he can be he can start suffering from maybe long-term Shardlin exposure, which is something I've kind of teased in this campaign, that Shardlin does corrupt. Um, it has not happened to him really in the context of this um, campaign, but I could start maybe teasing that. Uh, with his character, it, and and maybe he gets a way of uh, role playing that, but maybe I can also do a thing like you know maybe he gets 
I don't know, these uh, weird lesions growing on a skin or, you know, something that can be more physical as well. And it's one of those things where, hey, if you want to keep using it, then you can, you know, ignore these problems and maybe they'll be exacerbated at some point or you can stop cold turkey and then um, you might even be healed by them. But uh, so let's move on to if there's anything else you guys want to talk about the giant encounter, let me know. But I do think we've we've talked about it a lot on these crafting streams. And as much as I'm uh, looking forward to this battle and, uh, you know, having that drain some very useful party resources. Um, unless you all think I have specific tact, we, we did talk about giving the giants um, the mounted com combatant feat. Um, probably just the first part of that feat, which is that you have, uh, I think he has advantage while he's on top. If I can up again, you have advantage on melee rolls against any unmounted creature that is smaller than your mount. I would also give him the opposite of that and say that uh, people have disadvantage un unless they have some way of racing themselves up. Like if you know Thimbleweed wants to use his um, hovering thing or something, um, they would have disadvantage on melee attacks. Only melee attacks because that's just because of literally the height difference there. Um, I don't think I'm going to necessarily give him the. Ability to force an attack target at your mount to target you instead. That feels a little too powerful for a enemy to have without any kind of uh, check or save involved because the number of targets coming in means it would just constantly deflect. So it feels a little too much. And I mean, technically, NPCs aren't really supposed to, or aren't, aren't engineered to have feats. So I'm just giving it some extra abilities because he's kind of like a Beastmaster giant. So at that point, it's kind of a variant snap block. He also does have the ability to throw his nets every turn, which I do like that is. Basically, he doesn't have his normal rock attack, though, so I'm kind of replacing that with he's got his regular double attack spear, um, which is the same stats as the Great Axe, and then instead of hurling rocks, which do a ton of damage, he just hurls nets every turn, which restrains people, which eats up their action economy if it hits, which is pretty nice, so I'm a favor of that. And I know your granddad used Shardlin every day his whole life, and it's been fine. <laughs> the party monk knocked the giant out and really messed up my encounter. Hopefully yours goes better. Ooh, interesting. We'll see. I mean, it, you know, ultimately it is a dice game and uh, it, you know, it probably balances out in the long run if, if we look at every encounter over the long period of time. But there are individual encounters that can certainly go one way or the other just based on the dice, even even if they look, you know, decently tense and balanced on paper. You know, somebody could fail a nasty crowd control save or just I get off, you know, a crit with coming in with a mammoth and just stomp somebody out of existence right off the bat. Like, you know, there's there's certainly been many fights that have been in my favor and. I think there's been some, plenty that have been in the uh, party's favor as well. I did mention the fact that I would encourage them to actually have to spend something to convince their polar bear ally to actually help them fight. Um, otherwise, I may just montage these two polar bears fighting each other. Um, or if they don't really do anything with this bear, I might have him cower, and then all of a sudden I've added this polar bear as another enemy that's straight up going to fight them, which... I mean, the fact that I've got the the fact that a polar bear is like the least worrisome creature on this battlefield is uh, pretty exciting because <laughs> usually polar bears are uh, pretty nasty. Uh, and they can short rest after this fight. No problem. Um, oh, and the, the other thing that balances this fight is that uh, this giant is not going to fight to the death. Um, if he loses his mammoth and or he is reduced to like 30% hit points, he's going to surrender. He's not there to fight for the death. He's not a crazed, you know, zealot or something. He's just trying to basically get the, his bear back or maybe rob them for some treasure once he realizes he's in over his head because he can't tell how powerful they are. Um, he will surrender. He will give up the location of Yarrowmoot as kind of a sign of respect, although what I'm going to have in my back pocket is that he will return 
uh, later and try to kill them after they've been, you know, gone through a whole adventuring day, which I think will be pretty fun. Which means hopefully they haven't killed uh, his mammoth yet, or else he will come back a little bit. Maybe that's appropriate too. It'll just be him without the mammoth. I don't know. Um, although the token would be, I'm about to use a different token then, because <laughs> this one is clearly riding the mammoth. So I'm looking forward to that. Got a token for I don't have a token for Ballista. I never. I, well, you know, I've I've just used the standard um, goblin token, but honestly. She's such a non-combatant um, that she just kind of hides in the wagon. She's almost just a part of the wagon at this point. The wagon could just always include Blista in it. You can run too, yeah. Um, that would be the least satisfying thing to do. I, I, I like the fact that he would, you know, ultimately he does value strength and power. And I do think that if he realizes he's in over his head, he would straight up, I mean, surrender is probably a, something that... Maybe he wouldn't do formally, but he would at least say, okay, hey, I recognize you all are strong. Go to this location and then, you know, prove this kind of strength to the great Jarls and they will reward you. And, uh, you know, we'll let bygones be bygones and I will leave. You guys can keep the bear. You've earned your bear. And I will leave with my shit. And and maybe if the players even go further, like, well, you need to leave this bear behind or something, you know, and maybe we can go around with that. But my goal is to try and get this giant to escape with his life. Um, and and uh, that may, the context of that social encounter is going to change based on how this fight went. So if the players really kicked his ass, then maybe they'll feel like they can get whatever they want out of this giant. And that might be true in terms of the social checks involved and advantages and stuff. Um, if the opposite is true, then they're probably not going to get anything out of him. I am going to give him a uh, Kaogtum's ointment as a. If I can spell that right. There it is. Ooh, nailed it. Uh, this is a really good magic item. I gave the players in Tomb as well. It's kind of just a jar of health potions. <laughs> um, I'm going to increase the number of uses because it's going to be a giant sized version. So I'm going to include 2d4 plus 2 doses. Uh, they'll still roll for it, but essentially they can get the effects of. Uh, what is 2d8? That's not even, that's like double the health potion, isn't it? It's it's pretty good. But you do have to use an action. This one you cannot do as a free action. So it's actually meant to not necessarily be used in the middle of combat, but help you kind of restore hit points, almost like having an additional, you know, two hit die or something. So that'll be something that they can get from him. Um, he, depending on how it goes, he may give them up willingly. He may only give that up if they actually kill him. Like it, it really depends on how this fight goes and, He's also got a uh, a necklace of like dragon teeth or something giant-y that, that maybe is worth some money that he can give them as well. So basically he's willing to, uh, you know, he's not an insane giant. He's he's respects the strength and he will reward them for that. But I do want to try to keep him alive and then I can use him again later, which will be fun. Uh, but then they can short rest after this encounter because they've got their wagon and then they'll approach the Dark Duchess, which... Um, I'm still going to run a, I don't know if I want to do necessarily a, a formal skill challenge, but I do want to have it to where they have to, maybe just a series of hazards to cross, uh, the icebergs, ice flows, the floating ice, um, chunks in the sea of moving ice, because I don't think that should just be a simple, like, Hey, let's run over the run over this area and get on the boat. There's just nothing. I, I feel like there should be something more there. So uh, my idea initially is just to have them roll, which I think I went over this on Monday, uh, an acrobatics or athletics check to cross 
And this, I think we're looking, you know, I'm gonna go back to the overland map for a second. I'm also debating on how many times I want them to actually make this check. So if they get to this, get out of the way, Dark Duchess, there we go. So if they can get to the edge of the shoreline, then they've got, I mean, look at that, that's a mile? That's, you know, that's gotta be at least a couple checks, I would think, to cross this area. Maybe, I think I mentioned I would like to do two, but if they maybe pass two with flying colors, maybe do three. <laughs> um, in terms of, and, and I'm thinking, and first of all, the wagon cannot go across this area. It's it's way too, like, um, it's way too dangerous. Like, it's too heavy, uh, the reindeer, like, everything. It's just, they should realize it pretty quick, and if they don't, then Blista will just inform them, like, there's no way this fucking wagon is, is going across this, this, you know, sea, this ocean that's got icebergs floating in it. And the players can make it across, but it will be like a series of checks. The only, the only way I... The only reason a, a skill challenge might make it more interesting is that, of course, that opens up the possibility of players making different kinds of checks and being clever and outside the box. But the reason I'm not leaning towards that is because this is not something that the group um, succeeds or fails at together. Well, maybe it is if they're all in the same, like, floating iceberg or something. But I was thinking more like it's just a series. Like, if, if one person fails a check, then that one person then falls through the ice and other people have to respond to that, which is why I was thinking, okay, just everybody that is still normally walking has to make that check. And maybe and what's really funny is we can have uh, Mr. Thimbleweed use his fucking land's stride that he was so uh, happy about getting. I, land is a lot of options. And is it land's stride? Land's stride is land's stride. Through non-magical difficulty costs you no extra movement. You can pass through non-magical plants without being slowed by them without taking damage. Our ice flows not plants. So it's really just specifically plant-based, other than difficult terrain. So actually I don't think Land Stride would help you here. I was thinking it was more of a uh, environmental hazard question, but I don't think that's gonna be the case here. Um, mainly because, yes, it's difficult terrain, but all difficult terrain does is it makes you slow down, uh, half movement, and if you're not in combat or not in immediate danger, I don't see why that matters. So, I don't see why to impose difficult terrain if you're not in the circumstances where it matters how fast you go. <laughs> um, but it does matter on having to nimbly cross your way across these patches of ice. So in that case, I think acro acrobatics is a definite, but I was thinking also allowing athletics because I just think anything that's, you know, physical movement-based should be athletics as well. But I would allow either one of those um, to cross. I was thinking about having it be a fairly low check um, so that you really, because, you know, these are big, you know, it should be not too hard, but you can definitely, like, really slip up and mess up. So that's why I'm thinking of making it just a DC 10. But it's an endurance test, so they have to make probably three of these, unless we, unless like the first two rounds uh, go by really poorly for the players, where they're just shit in the bed, and they're falling in the water, and uh, it goes really bad for them. But every time they fall, then I like ma having them make an athletics check at disadvantage to try and get themselves out. Um, I guess somebody else could help them out as well, but at that point, it, 
you start wondering like is everybody can everybody reach everybody else or is there some kind of marching order they have to worry about you know how technical do you want to get there were also some ideas about if somebody falls in because the way the frigid water rules work is that somebody can um exist inside of these extreme frigid waters for a number of uh minutes equal to their constitution score i believe uh which means it's kind of pointless to do that um i, I to do an immediate hazard like that because somebody could fall in it. Assuming you can immediately pull them out, then there's no harm, no foul. And that felt uh, disappointing to me. Although people have pointed out that, well, then they're drenched. So if you wanted to roll a... Really, the, the case would be not necessarily that the water will kill you, but the effects of being in cold clothing outside in this area. Like suddenly you've essentially negated the effect of your cold weather clothing. So maybe that's why I could give the excuse of, okay... If they don't have a way to warm themselves up, which I don't think they would in the middle of like an iceberg floating, um, then maybe they have to make that call and save anyway. So I'm thinking about just uh, either way I justify it. I think if, if they if they're in the water, they fail another save, then they have to make a uh, con save for cold. And maybe I, I make them keep doing that unless they have some way of you know warming. Which I guess you could like okay, we're gonna strip down. We need a torch. Like just how technical do I want to get about this? I don't know. Um, and I'm thinking about just having a couple rounds go by of having to do that. Just uh, So some kind of environmental thing. So if you have any tips or advice on how to run an interesting uh, environmental hazard involving frigid water and cold conditions, that's what we're kind of looking at. And it's a unique situation that I don't see us repeating too often. So I'm willing to um, make things pretty challenging for the players and make this part of the dungeon design. Because normally they're traveling over the tundra, they've got their cold weather clothing, they've got a wagon they can ride in, like they're really not exposed to the elements they, to, to the degree that they will be uh, crossing these actual like iceberg dungeons. So any thoughts on that, let me know, but I plan on beating them up a little bit further. So by the time they get dark touches, hopefully they'll be um, a little bit on their back foot. Uh, they can hear, once they approach the ice troll, uh, you hear within 15 feet of the ship, which, what does this map actually looks like in terms of dynamic lighting? Okay. What's interesting is this one. Oh, it, it still shows all that, though, so I'm going to have to fix this. And we I've discussed about whether or not, because this is actually the same level, but this just shows the upper level, but there's nothing really to do up here versus just putting them on this map, which shows the proper doors they can get to. So I may just put them on this map and then just describe you know, the top part of this map. We're like, yeah, there's stairs going up. You can see all these claws and scratch marks and stuff, but there's plenty of that here. So I think, in fact, there's a weird like faded out thing on the second row. So I think I'm not, so in other words, I may most likely not even use this third one, uh, this leftmost map and just use this middle one for when they first get on here. Um, but let's see what the dynamic lighting actually looks like here. If I throw players on here. If I put you here, that actually, I might actually put you on the other side to give you some room. Uh, yeah, let's put you guys. If I put you here, then <laughs> it's really hard to tell what this is because the way that I make lighting's drawn. Um, most likely, I won't actually put them on this map, but I'll have them on there, and then I'll move them to there as they make it up uh, to the ship itself. Why? Clearly, this is not there tokens correctly why is it doing 37 
Is this not the right? Shouldn't I be able to drag their tokens with the updated versions? Everleads is correct. 36. Okay, it's just showing that they're level 4 versions or something for some reason. 17. What is going on? Uh, I guess I can just copy and paste then instead of dragging them. Is their proper tokens then? Yeah, the far left one might change. No, because they have 59, so that's still not right. Is this the bug I'm looking at? Why is it doing this? It should be updating their... Okay, that worked. But that didn't... This is so weird! That is so bizarre. It should be updating. It's tied to HP. It's tied... What is going on? This has got to be just a bug. Not updating their stats correctly. That represents Frey, but Frey's got like a hundred and some hit points. Uh, and then is that correct for Celeste? That actually does look right. 76. Okay. I don't know what's going on. It's got to be a bug then. There it is. Why? <laughs> you guys saw me. I didn't change a damn thing. <laughs> I'm going crazy here. All right. Let's see if I can get them. 28. Okay. That might be right. I don't think Edmund is. Uh, Raymond's been able to level up yet. That's the other thing, is everybody's got um, temporary hit points, I think. You know what? I should just copy and paste from the other one, then. Uh, Frey does not. So that's something we forgot in the last session, is that he did his temporary hit point thing. Oops. Oh, I guess he is. Okay, yeah, he needs to... So Edmund should have another 15 temporary hit points, then. Alright, well, man could go crazy looking at his player's character sheet, so maybe I should stop doing that. Let me, I can drag them onto this map again. And yeah, the first one might look good in terms of just the outside of the map. Oh, I see. It's going to, so the dynamic lighting isn't drawn around the ship on this side. You can see the whole ship, but the ship is above them. So they still have to climb up. So, which once you make it up, it looks like this, which looks pretty cool. You could try and get clever and uh, superimpose. I could crop this out and try to put it on top of this thing. But the problem is you're still dealing with dynamic lighting. Um, that's from the below, so there's no way to really do that. You can turn like this into this, but you can't like put this on top of this because you still run up. With, you, you still have the dynamic lighting would be drawn for the rooms. <laughs> All right, so you can hear the troll. When you get within 15 feet of the ship. So basically after our gauntlet of uh, getting through the ice. Give the trapped player increasing difficulty each round on checks. When they're trapped in the ice. Um, I mean it's going to be straight up disadvantage. If you are if you fall into the ice and you're trying to get out. You will have disadvantage trying to get out of there. Uh, the ship is not as abandoned as it appeared. Nice trolls there. Characters can surprise the troll to remain quiet as they make their way into the ship's hold area. Which is the one below. So that's kind of nice. The players can be alerted to a creature. I can already anticipate somebody um, trying to. Oh, that's true. I can do that. Uh, you can make the ship have wall. Be one way, but not the other. Yeah. Bad thing is, if I redo dynamic lighting, I'm going to have to redo. Maybe not. How much dynamic lighting is it? Is it just this side? Okay, you know what? I might actually use this to test that wall feature. I've never done that before. 
this would be a good way to test it because you would be able to see over the side. Okay, so let's delete this, he said nervously. And then on the dynamic lighting layer, and we've got a regular wall. Use that to shore this up. Okay, so that one's fixed. No, wrong job or whatever. So now we can make this one the one-way wall. One way. How does this work? Okay, so it looks like it's showing me. Okay, I want you to do it that way. This took like six years for them to implement this, I think. All right, let's see if I did it right. Uh, I don't think I did. Oh, I did it backwards. Shoot. Okay, I read it backwards, I guess. <laughs> I need effects when I did it the other way. Can I just reverse it? Oh, I can. Slick. Okay, I don't have to redo it. That's nice. That's nice. Okay, cool. Yeah, so when you get up, so look at that. That's really cool. You start here, you climb up onto the ship, and now you can see, and I'll change it to the other side too, but this part is still closed off because you're looking at the, um, the upper end, and the problem is you could go up there, but then there's also, well, maybe I should use this side then. I'm debating on what to do. I want to just leave them on this one and just kind of describe going up the stairs, and you can see, I think I'd just describe it. I think that's easier. To fuck around with using these two maps, which are the same level essentially. Alright, that means I have to do it on the other side though, which is this one. Yeah, it's easier to delete it because thankfully they didn't do the whole thing in one chunk, which is good advice to why you should not do your walls in giant chunks. So you can edit smaller chunks if you need to. It's pretty slick though the other way I did okay for some reason I'm the iconography is backwards to me <laughs> okay nifty 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 so and that's the best way I can make it look is with this it still ends up blocking the top which is weird because you normally would be able to see it the only weird part I mean whatever maybe the stairs go up pretty high and you're like that's like another level up there or you can go inside these areas which is the Captain's cabin. What I really want to do is draw them to here and try to get them to explore here before dealing with the monster down below. So you can hear the creature. Um, I'm going to anticipate they're going to want to make some kind of survival check to like identify what monster it is just based on the sounds it's making. Which I believe roll is a giant. I guess I need to redo these because it's always in like a white font instead of a black one. Yeah, giant is a history or nature check. That's pretty easy to figure out. Maybe disadvantage because you don't actually see the creature, you just hear it. Ooh, this, there's a different one for ship approach. That was the idea of moving ice is gonna be a thing. And then the ship approach will include uh, hearing the ice troll. That will be a history or nature check at disadvantage. 
Um, and then it would be a... I might make it higher. Maybe I'll just make the DC higher instead of disadvantage. Or I can do both. Because the goal is to uh, make them think that the troll made all this damage. Or something. I mean, you know, whatever it is. They can, you know, once they make it up here, they can peer down and just see the troll. Um, but the second they start moving around down here, I'm going to call them out and be like, are you rolling stealth or are you just moving around? Because if they're not rolling stealth, then it doesn't actually say, you know, if they're not moving stealth, then I guess you could just say the troll instantly detects them, right? If they're not choosing to move stealthy. Because otherwise, I mean, it takes a DC 12 stealth check. So if they're not moving stealthily, then I think the troll just auto-detects them and um, doesn't, or would, I guess, crash up these stairs and go after them. The bad thing is that kind of slightly ruins my uh, clever girl moment. Ideally, I would actually like for them to get the jump on this troll because then I can get the jump on them with a second troll. <laughs> so yes, I'm thinking about using a second troll, especially because um, I leveled them up again since the last time I prepared Dark Duchess. So I think it's only appropriate that I throw another a whole second troll at them. And they will definitely fight to the death and make things pretty difficult for the players. Um... But they don't have to deal with the troll. If they if they stealth on the deck, you know, you can make some... Can you investigate this area? Main deck. Uh, DC 12 survival check. Incorrectly surmise that a single enormous creature did all the damage. So that would actually tell you that... Especially if they just look down and can see this troll. Which, it's dark down here. So I would rule that you'd have to have dark vision to be able to see it. But most of the party does anyway. Yeah, there's no passive stealth. It's a, yeah. It does say that if you try to use fire to melt the ice. Oh, it, so it takes twice as long, but does not alert the troll. Whereas if you start shipping it away, that will alert the troll. So actually, if they do try to break into the cabin, that will summon the troll fight. Which, I don't know, maybe that makes things more interesting. If they just summon the one troll with their noise, it comes crashing up and attacks them. But I leave the second one all the way down here. So that by the time they come down here to look at the treasure, that one comes bursting out and is a second troll. That would make things easier for the players because I've separated those two fights um, versus otherwise they don't have uh, a fight when they get down to the boardroom. In fact, I think the kobolds would then be freed once the roll is taken care of. But hopefully, hopefully the players don't short rest in between taking out the troll and then investigating the lower level um, because kobolds would come out, <laughs> presumably. Trolls gotta have dark vision, right? point they do yeah most most creatures tend to i find in fact so many creatures in this entire universe have it that's a wonder anybody needs any lights i mean it's, it's a wonder that humans have been able to get by as long as they have <laughs> being one of the few creatures in the world that can't see in the dark at least somewhat they also have advantage on perception checks that rely on smell but I guess that doesn't necessarily help it in this case. It's, all, it's also not actively looking. It's still like, you know, wanted to get into these kobolds. So I guess uh, my main question is, if the troll gets alerted up here, do I want to send both trolls up to the top? At the very least, they would be staggered by a round or two, since one of them is like in this other room, you know, eating goats, basically. 
Um, I assume what kind of movement speed does a troll have? 30 feet, which is not very fast. So even if it dashes, if I really want to run it mechanically sound. All right, if it dashes, it could make it up there. But that would be its full turn. Well, I guess round two, you could have it dash all the way up. In fact, even if it makes it up there but can't attack, it still has its cold aura, so it's still doing its business. So that would actually probably be the best move to do. Round one, this is assuming they alert the troll. Um, the troll would come crashing up. Probably no surprise rounds since they've heard something up there. Um, well, yeah, there probably would be a surprise round, actually, because they wouldn't know it was... I mean, even if they hear it, they didn't know it was like coming right at them, maybe. I don't know, that's, that's a tricky situation. It feels weird, because I guess I would let it at least get up there and then roll initiative once it makes it up there and not have them roll initiative just because it's been aggroed. Uh, but then in the second round, the other one can dash its way up there, but it would have to dash to reach there. Wouldn't be able to do any actions in the second round. That still gives the players a little bit of a reprieve. Uh, obviously, their best strategy is to stealthily reconnaissance this whole area, realize there's a troll down there, uh, and try to get the jump on it. So unfortunately, it means they probably won't be able to get in here. Um, I want them to do this encounter because there's a lot of cool baddies I got in here and some good treasure, but it's ultimately going to be up to them how they want to approach that situation versus the trolls down below. And of course, when do we have the dragon up here? Got just close the record. Take some of the forecastle. The foxhill. Uh, these are all the little cabins that are up here, which there's nothing really up here. I was going to do just, just some world building and environmental storytelling, and if the players explore, they'll quickly realize there's a, a warren of kobolds have lived here. I assume they would not have anything that would be particularly valuable. Everything would go to the dragon, so there wouldn't be any real treasure to loot in here, and it wouldn't make sense for them to have potions and things. I think every everything, every bit of loot that's going to be in this dungeon is either going to be in the dragon's hoard or or in the one area that the kobolds have not broken into and maybe the dragon doesn't care about either is in here, which is the um, captain's personal stash. You can get three flasks of oil, five bars of lime soap, and three sets of manacles and torches. There you go. A hooded lantern, ropes and nets, all kinds of stuff in the storage. Uh, otherwise, the captain's cabin is where I've changed things around, where uh, first you have to get through it, which is... Is that actually back on D1? And there's no check involved, it's just you can use a pick or similar tool, which obviously people just try to hack their axes, chip away at the ice, which if they start doing that, that's going to aggro the troll and start the troll fight. Um, but then afterwards, presumably they can just continue doing it. Or they can melt the fire stealthily. Presumably they could use some magic to melt the fire, but I don't know if they actually have any fire magic. Is this the one party in D&D's existence that doesn't have fire magic? Have a chance per iceberg for a collision with another iceberg, forcing a deck save at disadvantage. Ice is slippy to not slide into the water. That's true. That would help uh, shake things up a bit. When enough players are in an area, instead of just making them roll those checks, instead do like, uh, hey, this you all jump on this berg and it's tilting to the side. You all need to make a save. Um, 
but only individuals that fail to save will fall in. That's kind of the goal I'm using. I don't want to make it a big, weird group uh, thing. But I, yeah, that would change things up slightly. I guess the difference is a deck save versus somebody who's been relying on athletics or acrobatics. Uh, so in the cabin, it's going to be a fight with an undead pirate captain and some crew members, which is the white stat block. This is an area the kobolds have not been able to get into. Um, so they will... I get, the weird thing is, if they stealth around and they, they do have that birdcage, I think it might take attunement, and I think well, Robin unattuned to it, as I recall, but that's a good point. That would help them here. <laughs> um, they could actually trigger this fight with the undead pirates before fighting the troll and you gotta imagine at that point that would alert the troll I may just suspend disbelief for a moment because I don't necessarily want to have my troll involved in that fight necessarily hmm that would be interesting but the players hmm Maybe the players try to use that to their advantage. Maybe they would try to make noise and call the beast up here to try to help them with the undead. The troll might not want to fuck with undead, though. It can't eat them. It can eat the players. That's a tricky situation. That's a very unique series of events, but it could involve them triggering the pirate fight before the, and still have the troll down there. The troll hasn't been alerted yet. Not to think about that one. Um, I don't think anything up here is actually usable. Any con to avoid exhaustion once drenched should be a high DC or a disadvantage because it's freezing and they're wet. Unless they have some means of becoming unwet. <laughs> yeah, undead are not tasty. I would imagine it would not care about the undead, but it would care about the players. I don't know, would it be smart enough to try to attack the players in the middle of that fight, or maybe be smart enough to be alerted to them, but maybe it's watching the fight to see, uh, you know, if the player survived, then it attacks them after that. How, how tactically prescient are these trolls? Intelligence of seven, wisdom of nine. They're not feral, they're not geniuses. Mostly just real strong. So that could happen. Also, this cabin's going to be pretty... Uh, the, the Undead Pirate Cabin's going to be loud and, and fun to roleplay for me. It didn't use just a combatant, but... Uh, so he will definitely make enough noise to alert the troll, I would think. But maybe I can just have the troll be alerted to the players just have it be hanging back to where the players are done with that combat and they don't hear the troll anymore. And then they, like, maybe they peek around or try to spy on it and then it, like, launches itself at them right after a fight so they haven't had a chance to short rest. That could be pretty interesting. One thing I still need to do is uh, kind of redesign the treasure pile that's in the dragon's pseudo horde down in D9. The reason they're here for this treasure pile, so I don't mind giving them some good shit. They're also, you know, I've scaled up the enemies, so it only makes sense that I scale up the treasure. If anybody has any suggestions for a tre additional or uh, changes to put in here, I'm certainly... Medical, uh, I'm amiable to that. Um, I 
am most likely going to design a magic bow to put in there for Thimbleweed, but it will probably be on the third or fourth layer. It would require the players to really stick around and, and try to get at this uh, horde. I think it has the same rules as the door where they can spend an hour chipping away, but it's each layer of ice or it takes twice as long with using the fire. Um, and I'm probably going to try to time it where like by the time they, you know, melt away the third one, they see what's in the fourth spot. That's when maybe they hear the dragon on top, um, you know, crash down to where they're not going to have much time to try to get at that to where if they want to get that fourth layer, they're going to have to do some real fancy like distractions or, um, you know, Val Robin can try to talk his way out of it or do something insane. Um, I don't, I don't know what's going to transpire. The fact that they've already met this dragon, they know it's very strong, but they also know they can kind of like get chummy with her and chat with her. Maybe will lead them to being a little more confident that uh, they can get away with it. But on the other hand, it's one thing to meet a dragon out and about when you're just passing through. It's another thing to like break into her home essentially, um, or at least her like uh storage unit <laughs> like find that for you know you may have passed somebody in the street be like hey you know it's nice chatting to you and then you go home to you go to your storage unit and that person just in there rifling through your shit uh you know even if you were nice to that person earlier it doesn't mean you're going to treat them the same way here uh i can't imagine that dragon's going to be in a very good mood so it would be really hilarious to watch the players uh work their way out of that one uh, i will we're still gonna have a whole nother week to talk about that i think because there's at the very least we're not gonna have aviatris be triggered during this friday session i can't imagine that would that would happen because to me it, it's less about how much time they spend here and instead it's it's a total like up to me thing about when she appears and i think it's not until they start digging through this treasure hoard specifically presumably they've cleared all the enemies out maybe they've forgotten about or left the uh, undead cabin behind which that would be a bummer i may remind them of that if they're digging through this horde and be like hey you also had that frozen door up there um but uh once they get down to the bottom layers of the treasure horde i think that's the time when the dragon appears and then the players have to start making those de decisions of how much loot can we grab versus how dangerous is it going to be for this dragon to stick around and be able to just annihilate us even if she can't properly um you know attack in here or whatever else they have magic boots yet they do not have magic boots yet i don't think there is like a uh what is it boots of the hinterlands or something or or just winterlands okay i think i skipped those boots the boots that were on the mountain climb quest i don't think i gave them to those which is another way to give them resistance to cold damage which is pretty good ignore difficult terrain created by ice or snow you can tolerate temperatures low as minus 50 degrees which by the way val robin being um he does have the ring of warmth and so if he falls through the ice i don't think he has any um problems because it does say that if they have resistance or immunity to cold then they basically suffer no ill effects from frigid water or anything of that so uh he's essentially immune to that whole gauntlet run of going through the area which that would be a good excuse of um hey if you had these boots you would avoid a lot of that and you know, this is this is one of those kinds of items where it would be very situational in most campaigns, but in this campaign, it's almost like a must-have because you just figure, like, every single area is going to involve, like, cold things coming at it, either cold monsters or cold hazards or something coming at us. Oh, was it Dugan? So I swear Mountain Climb had some magic boots on somebody. Um, There was, like, a picture of that. Now you're going to make me look it up. I thought there was even like a little picture of somebody that was dead with boots sticking out at the end of Mountain Climb. 
Yeah, this one. Uh, oh, maybe it wasn't. Maybe they weren't magic boots then. Maybe I'm wrong. Only his blue boots. I thought those were literally magic boots. The captain's been fur coat. Well, what I had in there was um, uh, a that that bag of tricks that it's it's. I talked about this on Monday, but it, it's a unique bag of tricks I'm going to design, which is that cool item that you can uh, uh, pull out a, a random pokeball essentially and throw it and summon an instant animal companion, and it could be anything from a little small. Uh, you know, bullshit creature to something that's like a dire wolf or something that's actually pretty useful, or polar bear, or a giant goat. I think you're right. I think these are just regular boots. That's that's reminding me of it though. Is that uh, that picture? It's got to be magic boots, right? Nope. <laughs> uh, that'd be pretty good. Um, boots of striding and springing are always pretty useful to getting across a lot of hazards. We use those in Prince of the Apocalypse. We used winged boots in. Uh, Chris's campaign gave it to our ranger who could just fly around and shoot all day. That seemed pretty damn powerful. I don't think we've used boots of Elvenkind before. The crazy thing is, because this is a dragon's horde, like you could literally put pretty much anything in this horde pile. Because the idea is, this is th this probably was part of the treasure that the pirate captain had, and then she might have added to it as she realized, hey, there's already a pretty good amount of treasure here. Um, you know, when I'm going around taking down ships, I can get whatever treasure things people have and throw them in here and i and I, like i said i'm scaling this up to the next tier level so maybe i'll look at the dungeon master's guide uh tables and figure out some good stuff to put in here um i don't like putting a fake wand of orcus i think that's pretty dumb armor is probably not as useful for this party because hardly anybody wears armor except for thimbleweed uh i could see a cloak protection being a lot more useful especially with a monk and a barbarian they both probably fight over that uh, and both the driver and the driver, the drift globe and quiver. That's the combination. Uh, drift globe and quiver is the driver. Uh, also, as a driver, <laughs> um, are low level and, and dumb. So I can easily make uh, upgrade that to something a little more interesting. And like I said, I was thinking about some kind of magic bow weapon for Thimbleweed, even though I just got him a sword. But he needs something like that, and then. Yeah, maybe a cloak protection and then something else. And put it to where they're on different layers, too. I like that the first layer is mainly just coins. Um, the second layer, you start getting more interesting, like gems and expensive stuff. And then maybe, uh, like this one has an example of a, a single-use uh, statue figurine that can be used, like a scroll, essentially. Uh, so I could do something like that. And then the third layer is when you actually... And all, all of these give you money and stuff, which is kind of cool. But then you start getting actual magic items as you go deeper, which is pretty fun. Something could tie to Revel's End. Uh, that's that could be interesting. So actually, a, a story-based piece of loot. Interesting idea. And of course, there's a goat in here. That goat's got to have some kind of dialogue and backstory. It'll be the last surviving goat. Um, it'll be kept here by the kobolds. Um, and it knew it was essentially going to be fed to the dragon at some point because the kobolds have been really shitty at finding food. Um, and it's been having to feed all their like milking goats. Now is the last one, and then recently, very recently, since the goat's still alive, uh, these trolls broke in and scared the kobolds, and basically they can get all the information from the kobolds they can from the goat, but if they want to just talk to the goat instead, that's perfectly fine. <laughs> um, I think the kobolds, are they just locked in here? Uh, let's see. The characters must break down the door to enter the cabins. The kobolds have no intention of letting them in. The door has an AC 15, 5 hit points, and meaning to poison psychic damage. 
an action, a character can shoulder or kick open the door with a successful DC 20 strength check. Or presumably you could just swing your weapon and hit it, which would probably be a lot easier. 15 hit points, 5, or 15 AC, 5 hit points. Just break it down. You could do the here's Johnny thing. <laughs> break it down with the axe. I think it does mention they all attack first, which is pretty funny. At that point, it becomes a trap, uh, I believe. Like, you open a door and these javelins just start flying at you. That's a that's a trap. However, you don't put them immediately in uh, initiative, necessarily. I would probably say, okay, instead of rolling initiative, if you want to say something, like, you can do that. Or you can just kill these kobolds. I don't... whatever. I guess I could make them more interesting kobolds. I do have more interesting kobold stat blocks uh, for the off chance the players actually want to fight. What do I have? Or maybe I don't. I thought I had more interesting kobolds. Didn't I use interesting kobolds? In Mount, in uh, Beautiful Mine? Am I going crazy? I had all the traps and stuff. Maybe I just didn't use, literally use their stat block. I guess I just used the traps themselves. Hmm. I had them. I know, uh, I think it's Tomb of... Beast that has difference. Cobalt Alchemist, Cobalt Chieftain. And there's the Inventor. That's what I was picturing. The one that puts all the traps everywhere. Delicious. So why not, instead of throwing spears, they throw some of these... Tra well, I guess they're all pretty low level, though. Nobody's going to care. Although, something a swarm of insects is no fucking joke. What's their, I mean, their javelin's a plus zero. It does, like, no damage. This is dumb. <laughs> it's so dumb. Can we do something that's going to at least make a difference? They just, like, gave them javelins that they can't really even use? Hell, acid. They can throw flasks of acid. That does 2d6 acid damage on a hit. That's, that's pretty solid. Yeah. Acid bombs. Where are they getting this acid? I don't know. <laughs> it seems like you'd be able to loot that somewhere if you were looting through their rooms. Token with a scorpion on a stick. All the rest of these are kind of goofy. Which is part of the fun, but again, this is not what I'm trying to have players do. Trapsmith is from Tomb of Beasts. I was thinking of that one, too. I think this one's got better base stats. Oh, Lord. Why did they do it like that? It's a big paragraph. Oh, no. I used these in Tomb of Annihilation. I remember that. I think I think it was tomb shredder and stun like just grenades. Oh, imagine one of them just throws one of these things out. Forty-six piercing damage. <laughs> We've saved you. Throw a shrapnel grenade into him. Okay, oh, from a rimmer has. <laughs> no. The rot. Did I skip over that one? Oh yeah, rot grub. A hazard in the square. Oh, it, there's no link to what even that means. Swarm of rot grubs. This is a rot grub. Oh, they're nasty. Finger-sized maggots eat living or dead flesh. Plus zero to hit. Does zero damage. Target is infested by rot. That's gross. The start of each of the player's turns, the target takes 1d6 piercing damage for rot grub infesting it. Applying fire to the bite wound before the end of the turns. Next turn deals one fire damage to the target and kills the rot grubs. After this time, the rot grubs are too far under the skin to be burned. If a target infested with rot grubs ends its turn with zero hit points, it dies as rot grubs burn to its heart and kill it. Good God. <laughs> what is going on with this creature? 
It doesn't do any damage though. Oh, that does. Sorry, it does one d six per rot grubbin per rot grubbin pesting it. Okay, this all seems like a very complicated way to kill them from the inside out. Wow, that is pretty nasty. That's okay. That seems like inappropriate for a kobold to throw at somebody, but I do like that as as a very dark dungeon death trap thing. Uh, maybe it's too. I don't know. The acid vial is the easy. I don't. I don't these these kobolds do not have. Uh, much means to do anything too fancy, so I think the acid tr throwing vials of acid are probably fine. More the speed that I need. Uh, in which case, should I just add the Cobalt Inventor then? They've got it in their stat bar, just so I can look at it. Or some of them could throw Alchemist Fire. I don't know. Or daggers. Some of them could just throw daggers. Scarabs from the mummy, yeah. Those do seem like old school, yeah. Something you wouldn't normally see these days. Something that can like burrow inside of you and kill you from the inside. I mean, hey, if you guys are level eight, you're gonna find slightly more advanced kobolds to deal with. And it's it's not meant to be a. Oh, nice. They are in the stat block. Okay, that's really cool. Perfect. Uh, not meant to be a normal combat encounter, also. It just I like the idea that when the players burst through the rooms, um, I you know I guess it depends on if they're actually making an effort to talk to them through the doors or explain what's going on. Maybe they wouldn't do they wouldn't go crazy and attack. So you know, good uh, socialization could uh, avoid the worst of that. Otherwise, they're gonna get some acid in the face. So, pretty straightforward, but, you know, the biggest question is when Aviatris arrives and keeping track of the Ice Troll's awareness, which is going to be a little tricky just because basically if the players do nothing, it's going to be alerted pretty quickly and run up to the fight and immediately they've got a fight on their hands pretty much as soon as they make it up to... Anywhere in this dungeon. Alright, why does it just do this sometimes? Alright, maybe I have to open their character sheet first. Look, you should have 80 hit points. Okay? There you go. Okay. I guess you have to open everybody's character sheet first and then it'll update properly. That's still a fucking weird bug. So, I think we're feeling pretty good about uh, this week's session because I don't think, you know, the giant fight will take a huge amount of time. I would assume they're going to need a short rest after that, but hopefully it won't spend, you know, all of their hit points or anything. Um, we'll make it to here, and it'll be exploration-based for a good chunk of the beginning. Unless they decide to just immediately jump down and fight the troll, which they could do, then we'll run into combat pretty quickly. Um, a big combat one, so there might be back-to-back, -back, so I hope they short rest after that giant fight. Um, what's interesting here is I have to make a decision if they decide to short rest in this dungeon... Um, in terms of wind, and again, does the dragon just always appear when they get to the horde? But then I can make a funny thing where it's like, oh, because you guys short rested, now it's coming now instead of when it comes later, and it would always come then, you know, that kind of thing. But I guess we'll figure it out um, as we get closer to exploring more of the Dark du Duchess dungeon, and hopefully they are encouraged to go into this undead pirate room and fight those guys and get even more treasure. And the kobolds then provide the socializing. So, hey, this dungeon has it all. I'm looking forward to it.
Uh, I think that will do it for this Thursday edition of Crafting Icewind Dale. If you enjoy the content, please do check out patreon.com slash roguewatson. Shouts to Platinum Patrons, Joe, Will, Tiny Dancer, Thomas, Adam, Stan, William, I'm Loud, Kyle, Brandon, Genocider, David, Nebula99, Eclectic, Role Player Role, James, and Lindsay. And Gold Patrons, RPG, Papercrafts, Pretty Boy, and Yuma, Marcus, Dead Lizard, Lounge, Sam, Lumpy, Spuds, Drome, Nathan, Fastica, Tortoise, and James. Thank you all very much for your support. I will see you all for D&D. Tomorrow.